Well, good evening again. Glad to see you. Tonight we're finishing a series in um, this summer called Our Church. So I'd invite you to turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I'll tell you a bit about uh, where we've been and where we're headed. Each week we've been confessing the Apostles' Creed, and the reason we've been doing that is uh, that little phrase at the end that says the Holy Catholic Church. Now, we are not Catholic, are we? But we are Catholic because Catholic is the word for universal. So we're not Catholic in denomination, but we are Catholic in identification in that we belong to the worldwide body of Christ. And so what we've done each week this summer in our Our Church series is we've started to sit down and talk about and pray about God who are we called to be? God, who are we called to be? And then that second question, and the order is important, we've been looking and thinking about is, God, what are we called to do? Because being precedes doing. Whether it's a church or whether it's your life, we must always ask, God, who are you making us to be? Who have you made us to be? Who are we called to be? Then we get up and we follow Jesus and ask, what have we been called to do. So that's what we've been doing throughout the summer. Next week, uh, we'll kind of tie off a lot of that and look at those questions again as kind of a series wrap-up, and then we'll jump back into Ephesians like we started at the beginning of the year. But tonight, we're going to be looking at a welcoming church, a welcoming church, and we're going to do that in the book of James and some words of Jesus in the book of Luke. But before we get there, I want to tell you about Pastor Bud mainly because Pastor Bud is not here tonight, and I can say whatever I want about him. Um, no, well, actually, Pastor Bud's not here. Many of you know that his, he and his family went on vacation. Uh, they are like the old-school road warrior vacation types that like two years ago, they drove all the way out to the southwest. Then last year, they drove all the way up to the northeast, and then this year, they kind of went straight up to Wisconsin, and Bud is still a bit under the weather, so he's home resting tonight. And um, speaking of which, he's had a little bit of a cough. And just as my public service announcement, um, if you are feeling sick and you have bugs going around and tickles in your throats, just a public service reminder that you can get a pastor doctor note that says it's okay to stay home. Because if Pastor Bud can do it, you can too. And your kids can too. Don't get us all sick. Okay? End of public service announcement. Back to sermon on a welcoming church. I told you I want to talk about Pastor Bud, and here's why. Pastor Bud, Robin, and Lindsay have a really interesting table. And what I mean by a really interesting table is not the brand new one they just got a few weeks ago, but they have a really interesting Thanksgiving table. How many of you come from families that are very, shall we say, particular? Or you may say it's tradition, but I say particular. And you do the same things the same way every single year. Grandma brings this, and mom does this, and dad does that, and cousins does this. And so it's very particular. We have traditions, but not so at the Riddell family Thanksgiving table. Because they do those road warrior vacations I'm talking about, they do that because all their family lives out of state. So that Thursday in November, the Riddell family open up their table to all those other people who have families that are out of state or people who don't have families that are in good standing or relationship. So their table is open to all. 
They are not even particular about their menu. They want to accommodate to anybody that comes. I don't think Bud could cook a normal turkey to save his life. He's going to fry it. He's going to do Cajun. He's going to do whatever. And he's going to say, what do you like? We'll make it. And Robin's going to make a dessert. And it's open for all the stray cat people who don't have a family to belong to, but by it on that day, I said by it, don't you know? So I really mean that. On that day, on that Thursday, you are adopted to the Riddell family. And it's beautiful. And it's anybody who would wander in, any family member or enemy or whatever. The table is open. And I got to thinking, what kind of table is our church gathering around? We have a table here, as every church does, that has the body and blood of Jesus. And I wonder about, is there room in our gatherings on Saturdays? I wonder about a table, a dining room table, a a kitchen table on Wednesdays in our missional communities. What kind of table is our church gathering around? Is it a table like the Riddell's where you are welcome to come and be adopted? There's room at the table. You see, the table was the center, not just now as we see it with the bread and the wine in a formal churchy sense. The table was the center of Christian worship from the very beginning. And you even see that this precedes before the time of Jesus, because if you look especially in Luke's gospel like we're going to in a bit, you see Jesus constantly being invited to feasts and banquets and tables. Because Jesus was a somebody we're going to talk about. And they wanted somebodies to come and share the table. And so the table has been the center of Christian worship because that table in the Jesus name was supposed to be a place where not just somebodies were invited, but all kinds of people in the name of Jesus could gather around and feel adopted as family under God. In the first church, most scholars say that the average size church is about 30 people. So if you thought our church was small, hey, dude, we're doing real well. The average church size in the first century was about 20 to 30 people. And it would look like a wealthy, property-owning tradesman or craftsman. And they would have not just their family members gathering around a table, but in the name of Jesus when they gathered around the table to break bread, to fellowship, to pray, to lift a cup to the name of King Jesus. They also had other people who were renting rooms in the house. They also had people who were servants or slaves that were around the table. If only one week, if only one night a week in the name of Jesus, the slaves were welcome to sit next to slave owners. You had wealthy craftsmen, like I mentioned, and you also had homeless people come in. And if only for one night a week when they gathered in the name of Jesus, homeless people would come and have a meal. Homeless people who would not have eaten otherwise were able to gather around the table in the name of this one who was crucified and have food. And they got to hear about the bread of life. And then you'd also have freed slaves that are finding a new start and a new life, gathering around the table. All of them had a place. All of them had a place. And so I keep wondering about our table, and I keep thinking about how imperfectly we can host meals in the name of Jesus. 
But the thing is, because Christians are imperfect, our tables can often look more like the exclusive tables or clubs in the world. And we show favorites. But it's not unique to us. I told you to turn to James chapter 2. We're going to see that this issue of favoritism, this issue of welcoming or not welcoming, is something that has plagued the church for some time because the table has always been a center, but it's not always been perfect. So tonight, James and Jesus are going to give us some table manners and invite us to a rhythm of two things. Watch, welcoming people to the table as they come, but also going out and inviting So it's that passive, when they come, they're welcome. But it's also that active, we're going to step out and invite. We're going to see with James and Jesus, this welcoming and inviting. But the same thing is true. Would our table be a place where it's welcome for all, poor, powerless, sinners, righteous, wicked, because that is what the Christian community and our church is called to be. Let's look at James chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He's going to illustrate this command and he says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The issue right at the beginning for the table that James is talking about is an issue of favoritism. And you see there in verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. What is favoritism that James is after? Literally, he's saying, must not, watch, receive the face of a person. I like favoritism better, but what he's after with receiving people is judging the book by their cover. So right at the beginning, he says of these people in these table gatherings, we must not show favoritism. We must not judge the book by its cover. That's how he starts our little paragraph we're looking at tonight. And you see that's how he ends it in verse 4 if you're looking on your phone or Bibles. He says, have you not discriminated? Have you not become judges? He's saying, do not judge a book by its cover. Now we say, oh, I'm great at that. I don't judge books by their cover. And it may look like this in our church. This is how it's looked in my own life. If we're really honest. It may be okay to welcome a homeless person, but it may be a little bit harder to welcome those who we know would deem lost causes. It's hard to welcome those who come into our gatherings and we look at them and we say, this person must be riddled with addiction. Or this person does not look like us. This person surely must have different tastes in worship and preaching and the way we do church. This person, I can tell because of how they're dressed, how they relate, or the stories they've heard. And for us, favoritism may not be because we have this class system, but we may deem some people lost causes. And I've seen too many lost causes in the kingdom of God be 
set free from the power of the gospel and transformation. So what happens and why it's so inconceivable for believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ to not show favoritism is because when we judge this way, when we stop people at the door based on their outward appearance by receiving their face, judging the book by its cover, what happens is we are stopping God and not giving him an opportunity to do a miracle in our midst and transfer them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is a repulsive practice that James is talking about because we are impeding the work of God in their life based on how we think they may or may not fit in our little community around our little table. We don't give God a chance. What James is thinking at the outset is surely Leviticus 19.15. And I know that he's probably thinking Leviticus 19 because so much of Leviticus is wrapped through James. I won't turn there, but it's, it's right before that command, love your neighbor as yourself, which he will refer to later on in chapter 2. But Leviticus 19.15 says, do not judge and show impartiality for the poor or the rich, for God does not show this kind of partiality. God knows hearts, we see face, when we stop people based on how we perceive them to think, feel, behave, we stop God from doing a chance at welcoming them into the family. James surely was thinking about loving neighbors as ourselves. And he's also saying, don't judge between the poor and the rich. And he does this in his illustration in verse 2, 3, and 4. You see this? Suppose a man comes into your meeting. Now what's going on here, and uh, we've been influenced a lot in this church by the work of Dr. Street and Scott McKnight and N.T. Wright. They've come around and they've said, we're not thinking properly when we're thinking of their meetings in churches like a big cathedral or chapel or pews where one guy's up here speaking at a lot of guys and gals. We're not thinking rightly about their meetings if we're thinking in that way. What's happening in the first communities with 20 or 30 people and all the mix around a table is that there is a horseshoe in a dining room from somebody that owns a home big enough to have one. And what happens is there's this practice that they have inherited from the culture where the owner of the home, the respectable one, sits at the head. And then he invites in the world in that day the guest of honor to come and sit at where? My right hand. So when you're reading the New Testament and the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, who's going to sit at your right hand? Or John gives himself a shout out and says the beloved one was on Jesus' chest. That's because they are gathered around a what's called a triclinium, and it's a horseshoe-shaped threesome of tables. And the head is uh, at the very point of it, and the honored guest is right there at the right hand, reclining back and eating with one hand. This is the practice that was throughout the first century uh, Palestine and Mediterranean area. And so there was this place of honor practice in the social clubs and banquet halls in uh, the, the day there. And so what happens is the welcoming gatherings of Christians, they would begin to reflect that practice. They would have the landowner at the top of the table, and then when somebody that was wealthy would come in with rings of gold or fine clothes, it's showing their status, And so what happens, you may see in banquets today, if you're ever invited to a hoity-toity, thousand-dollar-a-plate kind of uh, fundraiser, is they're going to put those nice people up at the front. 
This is a practice that still goes on today, but it was even worse back then because you were then not just the guest of honor, but everyone else fell in line behind them. So you had the host, the guest of honor, and everyone else fell in line from that place to the back of the table in the banquets of their day. In Luke 14, don't turn there, we're going to look there in a little bit. Jesus was a somebody invited to a hoity-toity dinner party. He was invited by a prominent Pharisee who was, it says, watching him closely. So Jesus comes and he's critiquing that practice in the day. And he's saying, when you get invited to a banquet, don't go thinking you're a somebody. Don't go with your bling and your clothes and go right up to the front of the table because you know what's going to happen? You're probably going to get disgraced because you've thought too highly of yourself and that host is going to tap you on the shoulder and said, um, excuse me, sir, uh, your sweater has a lot of holes in it and you know, you're not as big and awesome as you think you are. Um, I've seen your Facebook profile and you need to come and sit way back here. And Jesus is critiquing this place of honor practice, and he's saying, you're going to look dumb. And he says, but the heart of the issue is this. Quit thinking you're somebody. Because if you go and have a healthy idea of what it means to be a nobody, you may be honored and moved up in the line of command. But Jesus was looking at this prominent Pharisee and all these people jockeying for status and position. And he said the famous line in Luke 14, 11, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's in a context where, as James says, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, who had every reason to use his status as a somebody, became a nobody, as it says in Philippians 2. And Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. And so we look to Jesus who humbled himself and invited us to hold a healthy, low view of yourself and a high view of others at your table. And this is the foundation of what it means to be a welcoming church. So this practice, to get back to our text in James in verse 2, when you suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, somebody who's a somebody... And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. What happens is you receive the face, you judge them, and you say, ah, I get this. I know this one. I get this answer right. Ready? The guy with the gold ring and the nice clothes, let's come right up here. And in verse 3, he says, here's a good seat for you. You come sit right up here. You must be a big deal. Then you look at the other person and you say, okay, I receive the face. I see filthy old clothes and I see you coming in. And so what I'm going to say to this person is uh, you stand there. Or worse, he says in verse 3, sit on the floor by my feet. James is attacking a community or challenging a community that looks very unlike the Jesus who humbled himself who was glorious and became nothing. And he's challenging a community, watch, where two visitors come into a gathering to come to gather around a table in the name of Jesus, 
and they have stopped them right at the beginning, and they have prevented God from working and revealing a slice of a kingdom in which Jesus invited all the poor, powerless, and wicked for a place at the table. This community assigns status based on their appearance. And so what he says in verse 4, what you've done, have you not discriminated among yourselves? Have you not judged the book by the cover and therefore become judges with evil thoughts? Have we become judges because of a corrupted thinking that views people based on their appearance, based on their personal histories, their baggage, or the fact that they look different from us. And if we're not that far where we're not just discriminating against them, a welcoming church allows them a space at the table. A welcoming church sees a person as a child of God and is not going to become a judge that discriminates against them. What we should do as a welcoming church is rather than look at someone and make snap judgments as James talks about in this place, what we should do is something that I've tried and failed at, but I heard another pastor uh, that many of you are familiar with called Greg Boyd, and it's a game that he plays at the mall, and I find myself most often doing it at the airport. And at the airport, I play it, and it's better because uh, I, I try to imagine where these people are coming from and where they're headed. And at the airport, you can see stories unfold before you. You can see people coming home, and you see places of joy. And then you see the road-worn or air-worn people who just look so tired, so lonely, so beaten down. And you see these stories unfold. But what you're so tempted to do in the airport is, I think, what James is after, and it's receiving their face. It's judging the books by their cover. But the game that I've been trying to play in airports and at malls and these places where I see people around us is to train myself to see people as image bearers of God. I train people. I train to see people, no matter what they're wearing or what I may dream up for them in their backstory, as people who are beloved by God. And in that moment that we cross paths, could I say a word of blessing on their behalf to God, who is their Father? Could I say a word of blessing to those who've not been adopted yet and know Him as Father? Could I say a word of blessing and could I train myself and could our church train itself to if we're beholding people by the face that we would do so in a way that looks as them as ones for whom Jesus has died. Because when we look and see Jesus on the cross, we see his outstretched arms embracing all. Gay, straight, addicted, clean, righteous, and unrighteous, white, black, brown, you name it. Jesus' outstretched arms are open and welcome for all to come. Do our churches follow suit? Are they welcome at our table? So just to summarize this welcoming movement of the people that come in, if you have faith, James is going to say later on, let it be put to work. 
Basically, Jesus' communities must reflect Jesus. We started this series as a Jesus church. Everything we do must find its origin in who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So James says, if you are a Jesus community, you must look like Jesus. You must not honor the rich who dishonor Christ because of how they look. You must honor the poor because Jesus himself became poor and ate with the poor. Therefore, have a seat at a table with them. James is holding the kingdom community to work out their faith in the king. Jesus was poor. Jesus was sent to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus said the poor will inherit the kingdom. So Jesus' followers must not follow this practice of not welcoming people down front at the table. Our church must reflect Jesus' table and welcome indiscriminately. And so I got to thinking again with this passage in James, and I thought, you know, would we be accused, like Jesus was, for our table manners in eating with all the nobodies and wrong people? Would Providence Community Church be accused of meeting with people that doubt too much, that maybe drink too much, smoke too much and date girls who do all the above? Would our church be accused of filled with all the wrong nobodies, with all the wrong people? Because Jesus was accused of eating with all the gluttons, all the prostitutes, all the sinners. Why? Because he actually ate with all the gluttons and prostitutes and sinners. And so when Jesus takes it a step further as one who lived out this kind of welcome. He's going to say at a hoity-toity prominent dinner banquet in Luke 14, he's going to say it's not enough just to welcome them. Jesus, like he often does, wrecks our life and asks us to go one step further, and he says it's not enough to welcome. You actually must invite. And that's where I want to spend the remainder of our time as we close in Luke chapter 14. The context is what I had mentioned earlier about being invited to a prominent Pharisee's house because Jesus was a somebody. And the prominent Pharisee was probably thinking, hey, if I get Jesus, who's got quite a big following, it will make me look pretty good because I bagged Jesus. I bagged the celebrity of the moment. So in Luke 14, they're talking about the rules and the laws of the Sabbath. And then Jesus shifts that conversation to that place of honor practice. And he says what we talked about earlier, those who, what, exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So then Jesus, if we pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 14, who's going to ask his followers, his people, and challenge others to invite, he looks squarely at that prominent Pharisee, his host, and he says this, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. Now, did people's relatives, friends, and rich neighbors and others come? Yes. You've got to eat with your family sometimes. What Jesus is doing in critiquing this place of honor and trying to cultivate a community that will be a welcoming one in his name is he is going to say, do not invite them for the wrong reason. 
what is the wrong reason? If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Invite all the uninvitable. Invite the ones who have to be taken by hand into the banquet. Invite the ones who would not have eaten had you not invited them. Would our church be a church that can hold the hands of the sick and blind and put upon an outcast and say, you have a table seat waiting for you. This is the church that is welcoming. But people have an innate and illogical drive for status. We want to be served, not to serve. But when you follow Jesus' words and, and, ask, and, and, and hear him asking us to invite the uninvitable, we should not be asking, what can they do for me? But rather, we should be asking, I'm going to invite this person from a place of, what can Jesus do for them? These are the people we ought to be welcoming at our table. But are our schedules and our tables too crowded for these people? I think about, as I've known we're going to talk about a welcoming church, I've thought, you know, we belong really well as a church, I think. Now, no church belongs to one another perfectly. No church lives life together perfectly. But if you were to list the strengths of Providence Community Church, I would say that belonging would be one of them. But like with so much in our imperfect lives together and individually, there's a shadow side to belonging. There's a shadow side when we belong so well at the table that we can gather in too tightly. And I think not just for the rich or the poor, like James talks about, I wonder if we've held hands so tightly as a belonging church that we've done so in such a way where we're gathered up in a circle, we're holding hands, we're loving one another. But if you think about the circle in which everyone's holding hands, people can either face outward or they can face inward. And I think if a belonging church is not careful, I think that we can hold hands and we can look inward and it can look more like a Red Rover game where very few people can break through if they really come and try to sit at the table. And I say this in keeping with James and Jesus and thinking about a rhythm of welcome and thinking about that table in which we have room for others to be adopted and invited. And I think about the sick and I wonder, do we have places at the table for people who cannot serve immediately, who may not even pass a background check to serve in childcare? Are we going to be a church that is so reckless and messy and okay with finding room at the table with people who look and smell and behave differently from us? Because one of the things about moving to this part of the town 
is not only because it's our shared neighborhood geographically, but perhaps it's an area to which God has called us where we may not need to just have a hand inside holding on to those we have, but maybe we have a new opportunity to extend a hand outside and invite others in, like Jesus said. Because he'd go on to tell a parable about those that had been invited to a great banquet by a great host. And he says he invites all the right people, all the go-to people who can play the best music and who can preach the best sermons and who can have the beautiful people that you can put on church websites. And it's all the right people you want who will give all of their money so you can do a lot of rock and roll cool stuff in church. But the problem is in this parable that Jesus says, when these people were invited by this host, they were too busy. They weren't ready to commit. They weren't ready to come and join the table for whatever reason. So then Jesus says that this uh, person in the parable told his servants, well, then you better go and start inviting all the other people who wouldn't get invitations otherwise. And then he said, hey, look, I brought all these broke-down people who have missing teeth and they're no good. They can't strum a guitar to save their lives. And the servant brought all these people back, and the host looked at him and said, awesome, but I've still got lots of room at the table. Go even further out, and if you have to hold their hand and drag them in, Would you do it if they're willing? And so he paints this parable of those that are invited to the great banquet, the banquet of the kingdom of God, where he said, blessed are the poor, the put down, the meek, the ones with no status, the ones with the worst clothes, the ones with no money or prestige. And he imagines this banquet in this parable filled to the brim with all the wrong people. And I am just stupid enough to think that this church in the days ahead, Lord willing, will be filled with all the wrong people. It will be filled with all the people who have heard you're not good enough. You'll never make it. You're not, you don't have anything to offer. You've been burned by churches before. You can be burned by this one too. People who've heard you're not loved by their father. And this father in this place at our table can pick them up by the chin and say, Daughter, you're welcome. Son, you're welcome. And the problem with the body of Christ is that it is the visible representation to the world of the Jesus who ate with sinners and the Jesus who ate with prostitutes and nobodies. So if the churches that gather around the tables in Jesus' name are not reflecting that service, that indiscriminate welcome to the table, then we will have so many people in the highways and byways that will not be invited to come in. And even if they do find themselves wandering in, they may not be embraced. Because I do not think that our church is actively unkind. But I do think that sometimes our church can be unaware. And I think our church can be unaware because I've talked to so many people who have been at this church for so long and sometimes I can mention someone's name and I will get a blank look and they will have no idea who the person is even within their community of Providence. And frankly, our church is too dang small for that. 
And my conviction is this, and I'm trying to really temper my fire here, but we cannot be a welcoming and inviting church to the outside if we are not welcoming and inviting inside. And if we are not sharing our tables with our brothers and sisters, how can we expect to share our our table with those who are not yet brothers and sisters? If we cannot look at our brothers and sisters, as James will say later on in this letter, and see that they have a need, and we let them go away hungry, we cannot say that we are meeting needs in the name of Jesus. I don't care how much money we send to Russia. If we are not actively participating and sharing in the life that Jesus has called us to around his table that was a body broken for the world and blood shed for the world, if we are not welcoming our own, how can we ever expect to welcome those outside? And I don't care if, it's, if it means a process where we get them involved and get their contact and get them in members' classes. I'm talking about when people wander in for the first time, do we even say hello to them? Do we know their names? Can you name every person in this church if you've been here for longer than a year? We cannot expect to welcome those outside if we're not welcoming those inside. Is there room in our schedules? Is there room in our table? And I wonder again, the question I asked at the beginning, what kind of table are we setting each Saturday, each Wednesday? Is it one that's inviting to all? Is it a small reflection of that kingdom banquet Jesus talks about? Do we have room at our table for those, like James talked about, with filthy clothes or maybe just those who are unlike you? who don't see the same movies, the same music, who aren't in the same life stage as you? Are we welcoming to those unlike us? Toby asked this question when she preached our belonging message. Who do you struggle to belong to? When Toby asked it, that was an internal question. Who is it in these walls that you struggle to belong to? She also asked that of those outside. There is coming a day in this church where an open homosexual will walk into our worship service. If it hasn't happened already, there will come a day when this person will. And they are the most marginalized people, less and less these days, but the most marginalized people for sure in the Christian community. How are we going to welcome them? And before you start to talk about, well, Adam, you said you don't think it's God's ideal to be a a, a homosexual person. Before you say all this, What I will remind you of, I also said, is we have one posture as followers of Jesus. And I can say this unequivocally, that Jesus would welcome and speak to and invite this person into life with him. And I don't know how we're going to sort out the details, but I know that when an addict walks in, we do not turn them away. And I know that when somebody who struggles with anger walks in, we do not turn them away. So we are called to be people who must face those impediments toward those people we may struggle with. And we need to embrace a posture of welcome and inviting all the uninvitable. Because if they're not welcome here, they may not go and be welcome in another community gathered around the table in Jesus' name. Are we sending people away? Not because you're unkind. I love you and you are so good to me and you are a kind and beautiful people. 
But are we sending people away from our gatherings? Not because we're unkind, but watch, because we're simply unaware. Are we unaware of the broken people at our table? It's that game again, look with an image of God awareness. Then again, have you gathered around the table with others outside of your interests and outside of your missional community? When was the last time you ate with someone who wasn't in your missional community? That's not an indictment. That's a question that may invite a place for growth and just a great night to gather around with somebody else that you haven't talked to in a while. Because Jesus has called us to life together and following together. And our church is just too small not to know everyone. So I have a sense as we close that this summer, um, as we've made a move, as we've explored kind of who we're called to be and what we're called to do, as we look ahead to this shared neighborhood, and as we begin to put on new practices and, and just kind of growing into our skin, I get this sense that the dust is starting to settle and we get this like, oh, this is who we are. And the thing, our leaders, we talked about this phrase, you can say that phrase two different ways. So this is who I am. But you can also say, yeah, this is who I am. I can never be a professional basketball player, and I have to come to grips with that. I may not ever be a rock and roller. But you know what? I can say, this is who I am. And I look at our church, and I like who we're becoming. But this is a challenge and a call to be aware and to look with welcome and invitation. And may we gather around the table with Jesus. May we gather around with our brothers and sisters inside and gather around with those who've not yet been adopted and say, in the name of Jesus, we're all trying to follow him together. We're all gathering around him together. And we're all trying to go and proclaim the reign of Jesus to the world together. So would we be a welcoming church? Would we look more like a Riddell Thanksgiving table than a table that's too tight and excluding others? So Lord, would you help us to that end? Would you help us as we look at the words of James and Jesus? And if it steps on our toes, or Lord, if I've stepped on toes in a way that's not reflective of you, would you just forgive me? But in those places where you've stepped on our toes in a good way and given us some new ideas to think about as we welcome others, I pray that you would give us strength and grace and a foundation built upon you who made yourself nothing and took the form of a servant, becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Would we crucify our own tastes and desires and expectations of others? And would we see them through your eyes? Lord, I think about at our calling on Thanksgiving when the girls and I sit at a table, even if it's just for one day with our homeless friends. And I pray that that wouldn't just be a one-off time at Thanksgiving. I pray that the Riddell's home, when all are adopted, is not just a one-off time each year. I pray that we would have a practice of tables that are open to all whether they're poor, whether they're different, whether they're just simply uninvited and unaccepted, I pray that we would be a church that welcomes and invites, 
that they might find new life and life abundantly in you. So help us to that end. In the name of Jesus, our servant King, amen. So tonight you're invited to come to this table. And this table is open for those who have put their faith in Jesus. This table is open for all, regardless of your background. If you say, Jesus, you're all I have, then you're invited to come and remember the body that was broken for the world and the blood that was shed for the sins of mankind, indiscriminately, unequivocally, and for all time. We remember Christ crucified, and we proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes and we sit in the kingdom in fullness. And until that day, we proclaim his death and his resurrection as brothers and sisters looking to be like Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus. So we invite you to stand, if you're willing and able, to come to the table and to sing and respond as you feel led. May we walk by faith as aliens and foreigners in this world, following Jesus' example as we love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us and pursue peacemaking in a world that has not yet seen the Prince of Peace. May our citizenship be as members of God's household, his chosen people, his royal priesthood. May we direct one another to Christ, rejoicing with those who rejoice, grieving with those who grieve, and bearing the burdens of one another in the love of Jesus. May we proclaim Christ's death, life, and resurrection as faithful witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit, imploring every tribe, tongue, and nation to be reconciled to God. May our gatherings be a signpost of God's coming kingdom, where the broken find refuge and safety, where the sick find prayer and healing, where the lonely and fatherless find family, and where we all see Jesus more clearly. May our lives bring praise to God, who is in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Go in peace. <laughs>